Good to see all of you on this Wednesday evening. It truly has been a pleasure to be here this week and uh, good to have an opportunity to visit with you uh, this week and be in your presence, work with the congregation. It is a pleasure to be here this evening and be allowed to speak before you as well. And we want to continue on with our study related to leadership. And again, I want to talk to you about some things this evening related to some things we might do in a leadership seminar and that type of thing, working with leadership folks and, and uh, elders and deacons, etc. And I want to spend a little bit of time talking about some of that this evening. You know, if we talk about leadership, uh, folks talk about wanting to be a leader and how can I be a leader? And I tell you, the first thing you've got to do is learn to lead yourself. You can't lead other people if you can't control yourself. And that means control your own spirit, to be able to control what you do with your body, control what you do with your mind, control what you do with your hands, control that you can control your own spirit. You've got to lead yourself before you can lead someone else. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 27 said, but I keep under subjection and bring, into, and bring it into, keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means I, when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. You know, if I'm trying to preach to other people and I can't control what I do, and I can't control what I'm doing and keep my body in subjection, I cannot lead other people. Now, once a person is able to control leading themselves, they might be able to lead a family. But you know, you can't lead a family if you can't lead yourself. And a lot of family destruction happens because we've got fathers that can't lead themselves, mothers that can't lead themselves. But to lead a family, you've got to be able to control yourself. And then you may be able to lead a family. First Timothy chapter 3, verse number 4, you've heard this qualification over the last couple of weeks. If a person, one that ruleth well his own house, if a person know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? It's an example that is said, if you can't take care of your own family, it's going to be impossible to rule others. And if you can't take care of your family, if you can't take care of yourself, you're not going to be able to take care of your family as well. And there's a desire to want to lead other people. Sometimes there's too much of a desire to want to lead other people. Maybe we don't like to be the one that's in subjection. We want to be the one in charge or that type of thing. That's not the type of leader that's a godly leader. A godly leader is going to serve, and he's going to want what's good for that body of, of individuals that are following. There's an example in 2 Samuel chapter 19, 5 through 6, and I'm not going to take the time to go through the whole story tonight, but it's essentially the story of King David. King David had done a lot of wrong things. King David had committed adultery, and he had essentially committed murder, etc. He gets down toward the end of this story in 2 Samuel chapter 19, and Joab comes to him. And I just want you to notice some phrases. You'll skip about two-thirds of the way through that reading. Verse number 6, he says, In that thou lovest thine enemies and hatest thy friends, for thou hast declared this day that thou regardest neither princes nor servants. For this day I perceived that if Absalom had lived... And all we had died this day, then it had pleased thee well. Joab comes to him basically and says, you're so in love with Absalom, your son, and you are so worried about your son and your family and your people that if your own servants and your own kingdom had been destroyed, you'd have been happy about it. Something's wrong. And basically Joab's saying, you need to get out there and lead your people, lead your kingdom. And you know, the same thing happens today. There are people that are more worried about their family than they are the group. There's people more worried about themselves than they are their family. There's, we need to be careful about our perception 
in leadership that we lead ourselves first, then we can lead a family. That's an example for us to then be able to lead other people. And we're concerned about those other people. We don't always put family first when we're leading other people. We don't always put ourselves first when we're leading other people. So lead yourself, lead your family, and then you may have the privilege of leading others. And in our case, what we're talking about this week is leading the church. I want to talk to you a little bit about equipping the saints. That's what leaders do in the church, okay? Ephesians chapter 4, and I want to read through this reading, beginning of verse number 11. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh the increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now, I don't know, you may read that, you may be a King James scholar, and, and that doesn't seem a bit confusing to you, but that sounds like a lot of King Jamesese to me in a lot of ways. And there's a lot of power in these verses, but I want to break it down just a little bit because the very end of this, verse number 15 and 16, is the goal. That the whole body, we talked about last Sunday, that the analogy the Apostle Paul used in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 of the body, that it's got a brain and it sends signals, it's got eyes and the five senses, hearing, touch, smell, all that sort of thing. But it's, it's telling the body what to do, and the body works together as a unit. That's what makes it a body, is it's working effectively together. The goal here in this passage in Ephesians chapter 4 is that every joint of the body is supplied. And how does the body get supplied? And we go back to verse number 12, and that is the reason why we have leadership is for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Again, I'm a King James sort of guy. I love the King James. This is probably not the best verbiage in the King James for clarity's sake if you're used to speaking modern English as opposed to King James English, and I want to show you the difference. King James Version says, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now look at it in the NIV. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now I want you to notice the NIV is stating in a different sort of way the same thing that it means in the King James for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. If you broke that down, edify means to build up. So in the last part of verse number 12 would be to build up the body of Christ. That's the goal of why he gave apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, is to build up the body of Christ. But I want you to notice the first part of that, to equip his people for works of service. He gave elders and, or pastors, he gave apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ could be built up. That's what that verse means. Look at it again in another translation. 
the ESV, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. Verse number 12 means the reason why you have leadership is their job is to equip the saints for works of ministry so the church can be built up. That's what that verse means. So are leaders, is it their responsibility to go knock every door? Is it your elders' responsibility to go knock every door? It's your elders' responsibility to equip the saints for works of ministry so the body of Christ can be built up. It's your deacons' responsibility, and I know deacons is not mentioned in this text, but I think it's applicable to them. It's their job to teach, to equip the saints for works of ministry so the body can be built up. That's why you have leadership. What is the evangelist's role? To equip the church for works of service so the body of Christ can be built up. What are your teachers? Now, I know there's some discussion. You guys can go home and study it and come up with a conclusion on your own. And the argument has to do with the ands that are in this passage. There's some that would look at the Greek in this passage, and the second and at the end of verse number 12 should be, some would say, interpreted as pastors which are teachers, okay? As opposed to teachers being independent of pastors, that teachers is a part of pastoring. But there are plenty of other passages that talk about teachers and the importance of being a teacher. I think we diminish a lot of times in the church the role of a teacher. Do you know why we have teachers in our congregation? To equip the body to equip the church with acts of service or to teach them how to do acts of service so the church can be built up. Everyone, like we talked about Sunday, has a job to do. And the job of your leadership, if you're really leading others, you are equipping them for works of service so the church can be built up. I hope that makes sense. hope that's clear. But too often our mentality is we sit and we say, the elders work in the church. They serve in the church. The deacons work in the church or serve in the church. Well, that's true, but all of us work in the church. The, your leadership's job is to teach us. If I'm sitting on the pew, the leader's job, the teacher's job, the evangelist's job is to teach me how to do works of service so the church could be built up. Equipping the saints. That's your job of your leadership, to teach and to train. And we would probably focus a lot on the responsibility of el elders, and that is to equip the saints. And by that, one of their main jobs is to feed the flock. My voice is still changing. Acts 20, verse number 28. Said the elders which are among you, I exhort, which am also... I'm in the wrong passage. He said, over the which the Holy Ghost had made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he had purchased with his own blood. Paul was telling the Ephesian elders at Miletus, he met up with them, and he said, watch over the church. You're an overseer of the church. Feed the church of God. Notice 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 2. Feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. The job of elders is to feed the flock of God. What does that mean? The job of your leaders, the job of your teachers is to feed the flock of God. What does that mean? It means to teach them. 
to equip them for works of service so the body of Christ can be built up. You've got elders, you've got deacons. The passage we're going to use has to do with elders. Uh, but being examples to the flock, First Peter chapter 5, verse number 3, neither is being lords over God's heritage, but being ex- in samples or examples to the flock. So how does your leaders, how do your elders and deacons, how do evangelists equip the saints for works of service so the body of Christ can be built up? They do that in teaching. They do that in being an example and showing the way. And then we could talk about setting a vision, casting a vision, putting a vision in front of a congregation of people. Acts chapter 20, verse number 29, For I know this, that thou after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away after disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day. He's saying, I'm warning you. I can look out ahead and I can see there's a possibility there are people in here that would even come from among you that would be in the church that are trying to destroy the church. Be careful. So what do elders do? Elders equip the saints for works of service so the body of Christ can be built up. How do they do that? They do that in teaching. They do that in being an example. They do that in warning to let you know, hey, destruction could come, be prepared. They may also do that in goal setting. That can also be a part of vision. What's your one-year plan? What's your five-year plan? What's your 10-year plan? What's your 20-year plan? You know, several years ago, you guys were over at North Carolina Street, and you had a vision. You had a goal in front of you. The goal was to get a building built on the south side of town. Maybe, first of all, you bought land to get that paid for. Then secondly, can we get a building built? That kind of thing. Is, is the goal over? Is the vision over? What does your leadership do? Your leadership equips the saints, equips the congregation for works of service so the body of Christ can be built up. They do that through teaching. They do that through being examples. They also do that through casting vision and, being, and goal setting and all those sort of things. Look to your leaders to try to fulfill goals that are set for the congregation as well. Another thing I want to mention to you tonight, we talk to our leadership teams a lot about, is a principle of VCP. VCP essentially means visibility, credibility, and profitability. I sat in a business class several years ago. It's been 10 years ago or so. And they talked about this principle in business. I want you to think about it from a business perspective. If you do not, let's say that I own a landscape business. No offense, Brother Larry. But let's say that I want to open a landscape business. And I go print up a thousand business cards. And they say, Larry Ty Fleming's landscape business. Okay? And I go home and sit in the recliner and the 1,000 business card sits right next to the recliner, I'm not getting a lot of visibility, okay? And you wouldn't expect a lot of what at the end? Profitability. You would go, hey, you're not real visible. You're probably not going to see a lot of profit at the end of this. From a business perspective, we get it. Now, I want you to think about that for just a moment. The same thing's true in the church, 
And we can talk about it on multiple levels. Number one, have you ever heard the marketing location, location, location? What, are, what, what is the marketing principle of location, location, location? It's visibility. We, we can take church buildings, and that's the decisions a lot of times that have been made in congregations, and put them over in the back end of neighborhoods back in 1952, in the back end of town, maybe the worst part of town, maybe across the tracks in the, that part of town. And the reason why we do that is because we can afford the land over there. And we're not worried about anybody seeing us. Well, we don't want to be out on the highway. People don't know we're there. And then we wonder why churches don't grow. Location, location, location. The principle, principle of visibility is true spiritually as well. And it's true in our church management and function and leadership. Visibility. But it's also true for you on a personal level. It's true of your leaders. Let's talk about your leaders first on a personal level. You guys have an event going on at church and your leaders aren't there. Don't get me wrong. I recognize leaders can't make everything, can't do everything, can't be at everything. But they're never there. They're not involved. They're not engaged. Visibility. How much leadership do you really think they provide? What if your leaders were not at church when the church services came along? Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. What if your leaders on Sunday afternoon continuously got the Sunday afternoon headache? Well, you know, there's a visibility principle that affects profitability at the end. You say, well, what do you mean profitability when we're talking about church? Well, think about profitability from a church standpoint for a moment. What do you consider to be profitable spiritually? Let me ask you a question. A church at peace, is that profitable? That would be profitable, wouldn't it? What about a good place for your children to grow up, a good climate for growth? Wouldn't that be profitable for you spiritually? What about a place that you go to for church and there's good teaching from the pulpit? I mean, quality teaching. You walk away and you learn Bible. Isn't that profitable to you? We talk about a lot of things that are profitable. That's the goal spiritually is to get to a level of profitability. How do you do that? It starts with visibility. Leaders, you need to be visible. You need to be present. You need to be a part. Congregation, you need to be visible. Community needs to know you exist. That's why you do all of the social media or the, or the podcast or other things. You're trying to let people know you exist and that you exist in this location. Visibility. That's why you buy property on this side of town where they're fixing to build hundreds and thousands of houses around you. Visibility. Because you're trying to get to profitability at the end. And profitability, let's talk about it again. Soul saved, would that be profitable? Isn't that the goal? That would be profitable. But visibility, credibility, profitability. But let's go back to Larry Ty Fleming's landscaping. He's got visibility. He recognizes that he's out there and, and, and he has passed out a thousand business cards. They, they, he's visible. He's even gotten a few jobs. He went and he did those jobs and he mowed about every other row and left a bunch of weeds in the middle, and didn't weedy, didn't trim the edges, that kind of thing. Is he pro- I mean, was he visible? Yeah, everybody in town knows he's there. Is he credible? The answer is no. Not credible at all. You're going, absolutely not. Who's the last landscaping guy you'd want to use? Larry Tyfley means landscaping company. I wouldn't want to use that guy, because he has no credibility. He can't mow yards. He can't do landscaping. 
He can't trim. You ever heard of a church that didn't have any credibility? I mean, everybody knew they were there, but they didn't have any credibility. Maybe they argued, fussed, and fought all the time. Maybe they were on the radio and they were preaching some wild, far-out doctrine. Everybody knew they were around, but they were like the laughing stock of the community. Yeah, they're visible, but they weren't credible. How profitable do you think they were? I want to ask you a question. What's the difference between famous and infamous? What's the difference between famous and infamous? Now, I would say in my world, Elvis Presley was famous, okay? He was known for something that he did in a positive way. He's famous. Let me give you an example of infamous. Jesse James, Jeffrey Dahmer. Some of y'all younger folks are probably going, who in the world is that? But we could say infamous might be the terrorist Osama bin Laden. He's famous in the sense that everybody knows he exists, but he's really known for doing bad things or evil things. That's infamous. That's the difference. You know, a church can be very well known and be known for the wrong reasons. Do you remember Ephesians chapter 4, speaking the truth in love? We ought to be known as that type of people. That's what we ought to be known as. And we ought to be visible. We ought to have credibility to ultimately get to profitability. Let's look at that principle scripturally. Matthew chapter 5, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's visibility. Let your light shine. The church needs to be visible. All of us, the body of Christ, we're lights to the world. If you leave here and you don't live the same type of life that you act like you live here, you might be visible, but you're not giving the church credibility. And therefore, we lose profitability at the end of that. Credibility, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 16. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil, evil of you as evildoers or as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. In the King James, when you read the word conversation, typically it means the way you live your life, your conduct, your manner of living. You live your life in such a way that people, if they accused you of wrongdoing, ought to be ashamed of themselves because everybody knows you're a Christian. Everybody knows you're the kind of person that follows Christ. That's credible. That's having credibility to your Christian walk and ultimately get to profitability. And again, I'm talking about spiritual. I'm not talking about making money. I'm talking about spiritually profit. Souls are saved at the end. The church is known in the community. Your children have a good place to go to church. Your church is at peace. You've got elders that lead with joy and not with grief because the other way would be unprofitable unto you. What's profitable to you is elders and deacons that lead with joy and not with grief. Look at Titus chapter 3, verse number 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. You know, when you've got a church that's working that's touching the lives of people. That's a profitable thing. It's profitable for the kingdom of God. BCP. So what do we want from our leadership? We want them to equip the saints 
to do works of service for the building up of the church, and we want them to help us build visibility and credibility and ultimately profitability. And I want to spend a few minutes with you before we close tonight and talk about doing a SWOT analysis. And I would encourage you to do this in your home, in your family, in your church. And a SWOT analysis essentially is this, that you look at strengths, you look at weaknesses, you look at opportunities, and you look at threats. And it's worth your time to analyze those. A lot of you that have been involved in this leadership process know that we've talked a lot about that with leadership qualities. What strengths do they have? What weaknesses might they have? That's a SWOT analysis is what it is. It's not character assassination. It's analysis of where are we at? Where are our strengths? Where are weaknesses? Where are our opportunities? And what kind of threats are out there for us? And it's, it's worth your time from a leadership standpoint as elders and deacons to sit down and analyze a congregation and say, what are our strengths? Well, we've got good singing. We've got great preaching. We've got a lot of young families. We've got a lot of children running around, a great future. Those are strengths for a congregation. What are some of our weaknesses? Maybe some things we could improve on. And I don't know what those would be here at Amarillo. I don't live here in Amarillo, but y'all would know. What are some things you could improve on? And analyze those and say the weaker areas, wherever those are, we're going to work on those. We're going to strengthen those. And then we could look at what opportunities there are. Are there opportunities to do Bible studies? Are there opportunities to help our young people grow up in Christ? Are there opportunities for fellowship? Are there opportunities in our community? Are there opportunities that we can be involved in to help our church? That's what leadership does. They analyze those things. But leaders are also going to look at threats. And that's what the Apostle Paul was telling the elders at Ephesus. Watch. This is the flock that the Holy Ghost had made you an overseer. Feed the church. Because there's going to come a time, there's going to be some coming that are going to be preaching false doctrines. They may even come out from among you. Be careful, watch. Those are potential threats to a congregation. I've got a sermon. I'm not going to give it to you tonight. Y'all can thank me later. But it's called Wise Men, Foolish Men, and Evil Men. And there's a difference. And leaders have to deal with those differences. You want everyone to be a wise person. You want them to build wise principles in their life and learn how to develop wisdom. But there are foolish people. Foolish people don't always listen to wisdom. Foolish people don't always listen to instruction. Foolish people don't always listen to their leadership. They're foolish, but they're not necessarily evil. And then there are evil men, and they're real. Evil men won't listen to instruction, but they're not just not listening. They're out to destroy you. They're out to destroy your congregation. That's the difference in a foolish person and an evil person. Spend some time studying that sometime. And what you want out of your leadership is somebody who recognizes strengths, who understands weaknesses and tries to work on those weaknesses, but can see opportunities and also be careful of threats, things that could destroy us as a congregation. I pray for you guys here at Amarillo Church of Christ. May God bless you. May his countenance shine down upon you. Brother Sean's going to be preaching Sunday morning. I don't know what he selected to preach, but it'll probably have something to do with leadership. 
I hope these studies that we've been involved in, the studies that you've done, your leadership team has been giving you over the last couple of months, has been beneficial to you. Hope it's helped you study the Word of God. You want leaders that are helping you, developing you. That's leadership. You want leaders that can control themselves, lead their families, lead others effectively. You want leaders that are teaching you how to be equipped so that you can do works of service and build up the body of Christ. You want leaders who teach you how to be visible as a congregation, how to be visible individually so that you've got, and do it credibly so that we can ultimately see profitability. And leaders that will do a SWOT analysis and look at you as a group and strengthen the congregation to the best of their ability. And it takes a full team to do that. It takes every person in the body working together to accomplish that. May God bless you. May his countenance shine down upon this congregation. I'm 55 years old. I don't know, but 20 years from now, I may be back. And 20 years from now, some of these young folks, and it blows my mind already. I see some of you older folks that I were that young at one point in time. But you know, in 20 years, I'm going to be 75 years old, assuming I live that long. I hope I come back in 20 years and I'm 75. I hope I'm leaning on a cane. And I hope I see young people today that 20 years later have grown in Christ, have bloomed, have blossomed, and are great, faithful members of the Lord's body. And that's the goal of good leadership. You want a climate. You want an environment that is conducive to your family growing up and, and understanding the Word of God and understanding how to be a Christian and understanding how to stay away from the threats and the evils of the world. May God bless you. Grab your songbook if you would. We're going to have an invitation song. If the congregation in some way tonight can help you with a spiritual need, maybe you've never obeyed the gospel, maybe you need to be baptized into Christ tonight, maybe you need to come in contact with the blood of Christ, tonight is an opportunity for you to do that. And I don't know, maybe your last opportunity to do that. Several years ago, on a Wednesday night, I had a sister-in-law that said, why don't y'all come over tomorrow night? And Lisa and I said, oh, we're busy, we're tied up, and we're this, we're, we got a million things to do. We're not gonna be able to make it. And you know what I did on Thursday night? After telling her I, couldn't, I didn't have time to see her on Wednesday night, you know what I was doing on Thursday night? I was sitting out on the side of the road. Next to her, she was killed in a car wreck. Same girl here on Wednesday night's inviting you over Never made it to her own party. And you know, all of a sudden, I had all kinds of time. All of a sudden, on Thursday, I didn't have all those things to do. All of a sudden, it's Thursday, and I'm standing on the side of the road till 10, 11 o'clock at night while I'm waiting on a coroner to come pick up her body and tow the car away. I don't know what kind of time we've got left. I don't know. We may have all kinds of time, but you may not have tomorrow. And if you need to be obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you've not been touched by the blood of Christ, that, that blood shed from Calvary for your redemption, you're not a part of the kingdom. You're not a part of the church. You've not been added to the Lord's church. You need to be baptized into Christ, and you need to do it before it's too late. Maybe you're here and you've got other spiritual needs, whatever those may be. Maybe you need prayer. Maybe you need encouragement this evening. 